You're listening to Yes to Employment, a podcast series that seeks to improve competitive integrated employment outcomes for transition-aged youth and young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Today, Serena Lowe, TASH's Interim Executive Director, talks with Cecily Colson, the Executive Director of WISE, the Washington Initiative for Supported Employment. They have the sort of conversation you might expect from two people with such depth of experience in these issues. High-level, broad-ranging, big ideas. But mostly they talk about the necessity of not letting ourselves be limited by systems, processes, the way things have been done in the past, during this unprecedented COVID-19 crisis. They discuss the importance of fostering people's creative thinking and never losing sight of our person-centeredness. to our, our latest podcast of the Yes Center. And it's my wonderful pleasure today as the interim executive director. My name is Serena Lowe. It's a wonderful pleasure today to introduce our featured guest, Cecily Colson. Cecily is a long-term member and uh, leader within TASH and our community. She is also a national leader in employment systems change of her own right. And it's such a pleasure to have her here today. Cecily is the executive director of the Washington Initiative for Supported Employment, otherwise known as WISE, and brings 20 plus years experience in competitive integrated employment training and technical assistance uh, to the field, has really uh, used her experience in assisting organizations across the country with provider transformation, um, employment systems change, and community employment capacity building. And Cecily also designs and manages local, statewide, and national projects to increase employment opportunities for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. I've had a wonderful opportunity to work uh, with Cecily and support her when she served on uh, the Federal Advisory Committee on Increasing Competitive Integrated Employment for People with Disabilities. Uh, in 2016, and we are thrilled and delighted that she is currently serving as our employment committee chair for National TACH and as the incoming president-elect for the Community Employment Alliance. So welcome, Cecily. Thanks, Serena. It's great to be here with you. And where where are you at right now? Where where are you where are you hunkered down uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic? I'm actually in uh, the San Juan Islands, which is kind of the northwest tip of Washington state on a small island called Center Island and uh, kind of on the south end of the San Juan Islands. Um, The island I'm on is about um, two miles around um, and um, fairly remote, but um, close enough to the mainland where we can get to the things that we need. But it's it's been a a very rural experience for me during COVID so far. And you've been there since March, is that right? Yeah, it's not about St. Patrick's Day when I thought I'd be here for a couple of weeks. Uh, we just chose to stay here and um, do do work and, and live kind of the rural lifestyle during this time. Fantastic. Yeah. And my understanding on, so so how does like groceries and packages work right now for you? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> when you talk about living in a neighborhood or living in uh, with community being a really important thing, it's reminded me of how important relationships are during this time. And we have groceries delivered on a foot ferry uh, with um, a 
great young couple who own this company that we've gotten to know during this time and they deliver our groceries. We have a shopper at a local grocery store um, that buys the groceries and they pick them up and bring them on their boat out to us. And then believe it or not, Amazon Prime delivers here every day on an airplane. So on a small Cessna packages come in here and then the U.S. Postal Service delivers six days a week on a boat where we're at. So you're kidding. That's no. great. That's yeah. great to hear that our, yeah. our U.S. Postal Service is working. Yes. Six Big days time. a week in rural America. It sounds like your your foot fairy or the foot fairy is also your food fairy because that is the food fairy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The food fairy is a good uh. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for taking a few minutes uh, with me and 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 Tash uh, out of your your world that you've created out there. I'm I'm a little jealous actually, and I'm wondering did my did my invite get get stuck in the mail? Because it sounds like you, no. you sounds like the postal service is working, and I I don't remember an invite <laughs> out to let's <laughs> There will be a, a plenty of time post-COVID where we'll have people come through this uh, headquarters here, as I like to call nice. it. Nice. So we'll be doing that. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, I uh, I know I've known you for a number of years and I've always just uh, admired uh, not only um, the passion and the thoughtful uh, strategic approach that you take, to the work of, of employment systems change, but um, I, I also just know you're a heck of a lot of fun, um, but but the rest of the world may not know you as well as I do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? How, how did you get into this work? How did you get into the field of disability employment? You know, it's funny, a lot, like a lot of people um, that I've met over the years, I got into it on accident and through a personal relationship. Um, that I had with someone working in the field. Um, I had uh, my previous life, I was um, a softball coach in the Pac-10. In those days, it was the Pac-10, not the Pac-12. <laughs> and I, I decided to move from Oregon. I was at the University of Oregon and decided to move to Washington State where I grew up and kind of um, not make that my career um, for the long haul and was bouncing around doing some personal training for business leaders, women in business was my focus and I would train women uh, after work in their homes and I met a woman who was um, referred to me by a friend who was a developmental disability policy person in Washington State so one of her friends wanted to work out with me and I went and started meeting her and she uh, ran a support employment program in uh, just south of Seattle and as I got to know her she was hiring and, and asked me if I would consider applying because uh, she thought I would be good at job development. So I just started learning about the field and I took her up on it and uh, went to work for her. And at the time it was through the machinist union at Boeing that a center for rehab services and the International Association of Machinists umbrellaed that supportive employment program. So I got to interview with some folks from DC actually who flew out to Washington and asked me about what being a softball coach had to do with uh, supportive employment. That was kind of my challenge question. I said, well, I like, tra I like training people and I like training um, and I studied training in uh, my formal education. So it kind of seemed like a fit to me. And from there I fell in love with the work and I've been doing it ever since. But 
this kind of ties into my passion around training and professional development. It, it stems all the way back to my formal education. And that's a great segue into kind of some of the topics I want to hit you with today. But tell me a little bit about the unique culture that you've helped create at WISE. You guys have quite a uh, a unique approach, I think, to the work and also on um, in terms of the team you've built internally. Yeah, it, you know, I feel really, um, I feel blessed in that I, I was hired at WISE now almost 25 years ago. Um, and it was four people um, who were really doing uh, some great pioneering work in our state in Washington. And also, I didn't realize at the time that, you know, the state of Washington uh, was in a unique situation where they were funding a small nonprofit to do professional development work. But I think I just really fell in love with um, the culture that was already in place. And I've just tried to build on it, which is it's kind of one of, you know, you kind of keep three things in mind, really. You, you try and get to know everybody and anyone who's doing something innovative and creative and groundbreaking so that you can learn from their experiences. And then secondarily, when you're somebody that's has the honor of being a, a teacher of any concept, I think you have to keep in mind that you're, you're a continual learner and that, you know, we've never kind of figured everything out. And um, you put those two things together and um, you try and build a workplace where um, you just, you're learning and growing and you're challenging each other and um, you're trying to make sure that your values are centered around why, why we're all together anyway, which is to help people in their pursuit of independence with employment. And it's kind of just the way we do it. It's, it's we try and learn from each other. We try and promote others and um, you remain humble and thoughtful, but driven. And I think I like to I like to say, um, you know, proceed in that, until apprehended is part of our culture, um, because I think that sometimes we we just have a tendency to try and um, be too perfect at things. And um, my, my other uh, saying most recently has been, "Don't be perfect, just be huge." And I, I got that saying from from my wife who. Um, you know, got that through our sports career. And I just think it's, a you know, be completely unapologetic and thoughtful and values-based and we're going to help a lot of people grow and learn and we're going to be growing and learning along the way. So that's kind of how we try and put ourselves together every day. So insightful, you know, such a great philosophy of don't be perfect, be huge. You know, I think we live in this culture where, um, everyone's scared to make a mistake or, or to yeah. uh, admit to making a mistake instead of using mistakes as a wonderful way to get better at something, to learn something yeah. new and to bring a new strategy or approach uh, to the work. So uh, what a, what a f wonderful way to, to kind of bring together a, a culture that is uh, not just thoughtful, but uh, not afraid to experiment and, and rock the boat a little bit. Yeah, we try and have fun, you know, try and have fun with what we're doing and and also be smart at the same time. I think you put those two things together and there's plenty of experts out there, you know, there's plenty of people doing great work and, and bring those folks together, we can all do great stuff. Excellent. Well, you certainly uh, have built uh, a network and community of uh, forward-thinking uh, innovators across the country that are really thinking outside the box about 
um, how do we um, and not just uh, create spaces to empower people to pursue their uh, occupational interests and goals, but um, and and not and sometimes how do we even push the systems out of the way, right? And 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 let the uh, individuals spread their wings and and fly, but also you know how do we how do we really think creatively about helping um, individuals who might have you know multiple barriers to the economic mainstream um, really engage in a, in a meaningful way in employment. So, um, so I know you've been talking to a lot of people in, in these crazy and uncertain times that we live in and um, would just really be interested to hear what you think, you know, what's your impression on what leaders in the field that are uh, really on the front lines doing work right now and thinking about um, uh, how to transform their models to be more individualized. You know, what what is it that they need to really be supported uh, during this time? Well, I think, you know, I think they, they need to um, just be told yes a lot right now. I think any time that somebody's trying to figure something out under these kinds of conditions, it's it's kind of like the pendulum switched from, Kind of compliance because we've spent a lot of the last decade codifying what we knew we were doing in policy and rule and um, legislative activities and advocacy and then all of a sudden all of that turned on its ear right and and with that um after we realized that we weren't in a um kind of a storm but we were in a long-term crisis i think the shift for a lot of people that i've talked to has been about saying the playing field's been leveled and we don't have policies that that are built to govern today or else we would have been able to um, kind of shift really quickly and manage ourselves with our emergency policies, but they weren't there. And so people that are on the front lines right now doing this work are the next generation of what our system is gonna be built like. So I, the conversations I've been in has been, we're going to have to make sure that um, people, the professionals in the field right now, pay very careful attention to what's working and what people's needs are, and that we need to make sure that we document the experience right now and build the next set of policies and rules from the bottom up, not the top down. And I think as leaders right now, whether we're leading organizations or whether we're in public policy roles or associations like TASH or National ABSI or a variety of the advocacy organizations, I think we all need to be paying attention to people with disabilities, what they're, what they're saying they need and where they're running into roadblocks right now and their families as well. And through there, we can design a whole different, I think, more modern set of policies and rules going forward. If we want to, if we're willing to take the risk to acknowledge what we're learning right now and not get in our own way with how long that could take, but rather say, let's get it done in the next year um, and make a commitment to that nationally. Um, I think we could do some really cool things because, you know, major um, programs have been shut down where people were congregating um, and we've spent um, millions and billions of dollars trying to convince ourselves that we wanted to shut those things down and what would happen if we did. Well, it just happened. And we have a responsibility to people um, through our Medicaid programs and through our um, ingenuity and creativity 
to figure out how we open their lives back up with the supports they need. And it's in mass and nobody's immune to that experience right now. And so, you know, while it's a daunting notion to think about, we have a grand opportunity and I think ultimate responsibility to figure that out together. So I'm hoping we start to organize that way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? It's like you're, uh, we're almost like uh, throwing the playbook out, if you will. And we, we spend so yeah. much time arguing and fighting for certain policies and rules. And then they still kept getting in the way of, of progress. And now, like you yeah. said, overnight, uh, some of the uh, desires and dreams that most of us have been pleading for for some time came to fruition in a way in terms of these large congregate facilities just being gone. But now we have to, you know, we really do have an obligation to use this as an opportunity for true, uh, true change that's going to stick. So, so in thinking about that, like, how are you, uh, how does this reframe how we approach partnerships and problem solving and innovation in real time, right? With this kind of sense of urgency that, um, that, that the, this new era has thrown us all in. Well, you know, it's, I think something different every day, honestly, (laughs) with that question. But I, I think that, uh, you know, personally, all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be really present like now mm-hmm. and what's happening. And I'm trying to, like I said, I'm trying to focus on on what is going on through professional development where we're, you know, our lane is in training and technical assistance. And we've been really heavy in the training lane the last four months, a lot lighter on the TA um, side of things. And, and just for instance, for years, I've been thinking that we needed a balance of online learning and in-person learning. And we've just had about four months to build an online learning system that uh, we couldn't have focused on, you know, in the next 10 years to get to where we're at in a four month period. And we're just one example of how organizations are doing those sorts of things. I heard a story uh, from an organization in Georgia recently where he said, you know, we're not spending money on vehicles and transportation and things. So we took that money and we put it into um, personal devices for all of our staff that were working in day programs and and employment programs. And we started rebooting our infrastructure and training staff to be connected. And, and I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, these stories are happening right now everywhere and we're doing them. And I'll just go back to, you know, if we keep our eyes focused on our values and the people that are building their lives with our services and supports, then I think that, and we sprinkle in, the desire to um, do the right thing right now and to not be afraid to debate what we need to do going forward and and maybe fight for it really really loudly i think that we can get we can get a long way in the next six to 12 months i just hope we all start to do that and so i wanted to talk to you today it's like i think we all need to start rallying with a sense of urgency to to seize this moment right now yeah, it's such a uh, compelling point. Um, you know, after stepping out of uh, the federal government fog uh, over the last eight years, you know, one of the things I'm realizing is just how many hours a day uh, the, the government thinks about things like 
quality measurement? You know, how do you measure quality and how do you uh, how do you know if we're getting the best value out of our out of our um, our services that we're providing and that we're funding and the programs that we're investing in? And um, and it, it's it's become such a um, I think truncated process and conversation, but you know, I'd like to hear, I mean, you're on the front lines with providers and with individuals with disabilities and their families. Um, you know, how do you, how do you think in the most obvious way is to ensure that the quality of the services and the supports we're providing are, are being maintained and in, in kind of this, this era where everyone's in some ways flying by the seat of their pants, right? Yeah, I think two things are really important right now. Uh, I think that uh, supported decision-making couldn't be more important than it's ever been right now. And I don't think we've done universally a good enough job in, in teaching our frontline professional staff um, how to ensure that people are making their own choices. Um, we have examples all over the place that are very difficult decisions that families are making right now about returning to work or being in the community in general. And I don't know that we're all well equipped to, to make sure that the person's voice is heard. And I think the other way that, that we as professionals from a quality assurance standpoint, we should be designing quality assurance from the user of the service. And um, in every other facet of our lives, we have the ability to give feedback on quality in, in real time. Mm -hmm. And the Medicaid system does not do that. And as a matter of fact, it layers on top of the user all kinds of other requirements and opportunities for their voice to not be heard. Mm -hmm. And I think we have employers and people with disabilities when we're talking about employment services. And those two groups should be driving quality. Um, the quality conversation. And that's where we need to design, right? We have the technology to design that. We have the tools in place to, you know, decide whether my meal was good yesterday at the restaurant that I was at. Um, but we don't have that in place with an expectation that the person can um, share what they need. It, it's We're still in an antiquated system where we look at even planning. You get a plan at some point and the plan's not updated for a year. Well, mm -hmm. you know, we all we all plan on January 1st. And if our plan wasn't updated by March 1st, we would have <laughs> failed miserably, right? That's right. Um, and so we, I think we just have to start living in reality. Um, and the reality is about the person's life. It, it's not about the system. And, and this time has been grand to watch the system not um, be the point of focus, mm -hmm. but, but the people are the point of focus right now. And we, we've got to fight for that. Do you ever see a time in the future because of what we've gone through and because we've seen really the failure of the systems? So we've, and, and their, their acknowledgement that they cannot, uh, help the collective good at this point. And so they're much more open to, experimentation and innovation. I mean, do you ever see uh, a future where really the government becomes a funder of truly individualized services through individual budgeting and self-direction and we kind of get rid of the, quote, antiquated, systemically funded 
congregate programs and, and programming and actually just start looking at lives and and yeah. and really look at the government as uh, as more of like the, the the financial resource and arm, but not the arbiter of how people spend their time or where they live. I, th I think great team, great teams have well-defined roles and really strong players in each of those roles. And I, I think that the government playing the role that you described could do a really fantastic job. Uh, and I think that people um, can do a really fantastic job in governing their lives and they're the best at it. They know what they want. And I think uh, in the middle of all of that is service provision and I believe wholeheartedly and always have being a service provider and how I came into the field that uh, if we invested in those services and supports versus programming and monitoring programs, then we would have a highly trained workforce of, of professionals to support people's needs and desires. And um, I think if anything, if we can look at those three areas and we go, We've got money assigned to people. We've got a government making sure that that money gets to the people. And, and those resources are used to have um, competitive services that are values driven and highly trained professionals. We will do just fine. And anything else that doesn't fall into those three buckets, um, we don't really need because, you know, and, and all of us that have been around a long time can go through and go, okay, these are the areas that we could cut out. And quite frankly, we would probably not leave anybody out if we just retooled the way that the things worked. We'd probably need more skilled people and we probably have to expand our network if we let this thing go in the direction of everything else in the world, which is highly customized, individualized shopping and eating and recreating. I mean, everything that we do in the world is highly customized, except some of these social programs. And it's time for that. Yeah, we start which are completely paternalistic and the right. antithesis of, of the values of, of, of dem democracy and, and capitalism, of freedom of choice right. and competition. So, right. Um, right. so I, I think it is, a, it's just such an interesting moment in history for looking and really completely re-envisioning social service design, um, but also really supports related to true inclusion and equity for yeah. individuals yeah. with disabilities. So it's exciting. And I'm personally really thankful that uh, there are people like you on the front line and uh, that are shepherding the next generation of leaders and uh, really, um, really making sure that the values hold tight um, about why we're here and what we're trying to do. So uh, before we leave, I just any other parting thoughts about kind of this this next chapter that we are writing in real time? <laughs> I've been using the analogy. I've been using a baseball analogy for this lately. It's um, the dog days of summer. Um, and when you're a baseball player, um, this is the time in baseball season, typically not this year, but typically where um, champions are defined because they're the folks who stay focused and they uh, lean on the fundamentals of what they do. And um, they continue to build the strength of their relationships on their team. Um, and I think that's what we need to be doing right now is just staying very focused, uh, building our relationships and leaning on each other for um, the value and trust in those relationships. 
And like I said before, not being afraid to be innovative and creative and uh, sharing those stories that um, there's a, there's so many good things going on with people out in the field right now. And we need to highlight those things and and build upon those and, and not look back because what we were doing in February is not what we need to be doing going forward. We need to build on what we're doing right now and it will be a better a better normal than what we were in before. So outside of that, we just need to try to not lose our sense of humor and stay healthy. Right? <laughs> Amen to that. Um, well, my, my friend, uh, my, my sister in the movement and, uh, and, uh, and my inspiration for today. Thank you, Cecily Colson from Y so much for, for taking time out and just for this, uh, fantastic, um, conversation. And, uh, don't, don't stay up in, uh, in the islands too long. Um, I, I expect an invite after post COVID of a big party up there with, uh, all of us, uh, celebrating, hopefully, uh, a new chapter in our works. That will happen. Well, thank you for having me. It's, I'm obviously a big fan of Tash and I think Tash can be really instrumental in these conversations going forward. So thanks really for including me. Absolutely. You've been listening to Yes to Employment, a podcast that seeks to improve competitive integrated employment outcomes for transition-aged youth and young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Today, Serena Lowe spoke with Cecily Colson, the Executive Director of WISE. For more about WISE, visit GoWise.org. For more about Yes to Employment, including show notes, links to the resources discussed, a complete transcript, and a schedule of episodes, visit www.yestoemployment.org slash podcast. You can subscribe through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app to have the series delivered automatically to your device so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a rating on iTunes. Ratings will help us get the series in front of more listeners. Yes to Employment is a production of the Youth Employment Solutions Center, the National Training and Technical Assistance Center, that serves as a hub of information and expertise for the Partnerships in Employment, or PIE, state projects. The YES Center is a collaboration of TASH and Transcend. You can learn more about TASH at TASH.org and more about Transcend at Transcend.org. That's T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N.org. You can receive updates from the YES Center on this podcast and our other activities by following us on Facebook or on Twitter at yes to employment Partnerships in Employment is a series of seed grants funded by the Administration for Community Living's Administration on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities, made to states for the purpose of transforming state disability support systems to competitive integrated employment. AIDD is dedicated to ensuring that individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities and their families are able to fully participate in and contribute to all aspects of community life in the United States and its territories. Music for Yes to Employment is an original composition and performance by Sonny Seferati, the co-director and autistic self-advocacy mentor at The Musical Autist. You can learn more about The Musical Autist at www.themusicalautist.org. Be sure to keep Yes to Employment on your list. We'll have another episode on competitive integrated employment for you in the near future. Thank you.